2 Corinthians 5, we'll be picking up at verse 11. Have you ever been to a restaurant before? No, John. <laughs> uh, or a fast food place. Went out to eat one way or another. Have you ever gone out to eat with other people? Have you ever discussed with other people about where you're going to go out to eat? And have you ever had a, a conversation where you're trying to decide amongst yourselves where to go to eat, and and you know that you don't, you're not picky, you don't really care, right? You know you, you're good with wherever you go, mostly for the most part, and you know the other person in the conversation is a little more on the picky side, and they're not good about anywhere about where they're particularly going to go. And so instead of you making a suggestion, you say, where would you like to go? And that person is picky, and they only have certain places they might be willing to go, but they don't really know which place they want to go. So then they ask you, well, where do you want to go? And you're thinking, I know I don't want to do this, but they ask, and so you offer a suggestion. Well, let's go here. And their response is, well, I don't really know if I like that place. I'm not, I'm not into that. Okay. Well, then where would you like to go? Like, well, I don't know. Where would you like to go? <sighs> right, wherever you want to go. And, but they're still pushing, and, and you're still trying to be polite, and you're like, all right, how about this place? No, nah, I just had that last week. I'm not really feeling that today. And they shoot that one down. You're like, eventually, you're just like, then you get a little more firm, and you're like, Let's, wherever you want to go. I don't want to make decisions. Just wherever you want to go, I'm good with. And, and they hem and haw, and they might finally make a decision. And, and you're thinking, what's going on there? What is that? Just make a choice. Why aren't they choosing? What, what, it's just food, right? Just pick a place and go. But they, but they don't know. They, they actually, they know, but they don't. You know what I mean? Like they, if they landed at the right place and they got the order and they ate it, they would know that was the right place, Right? But they don't know until they're there. When they're there, they know this wasn't right. This wasn't the right place. Have you ever ordered something on, I don't know if you're like me, but some restaurants have short menus and some have long menus. And some restaurants have long menus and they have lengthy descriptions of all the things on the menu. And you can't just tell by the title what's in it. And, and me, I'm very thorough. And so my wife has to put up with, if we're in a restaurant like that, that I'm going to take a lengthy amount of time very cautiously reading through the whole menu. And have you ever done that exercise? And you're like, all right, I figured out what I want. You ordered it. It came. looked good. Started eating it. That wasn't it. And if you're like me, I'm not going to buy two dishes. So I'm just stuck with eating this thing, even though I don't like it. And you're disappointed. And you, you realized you thought that's what you wanted. That wasn't what you wanted. And we are like that in many areas in life where we know we want something. We know something's not right in our life. There's something missing. And we know that something will resolve that thing that's missing. And, and we start trying to look to find it. But we wouldn't be able to, to explain to somebody what it is. We don't know the restaurant, right? We don't know where it is. We don't know how to get there. We try things sometimes. And sometimes it's good for a while. And then after a season, it's then doing anything. Anymore. You went a third time, you're like, not that great. Restaurant where you really loved it, right? You loved it. You went a second time, it's great. I love it. You went a third time, you're like, not that great anymore, right? I don't love it anymore. And and that's life is like that, right? There's there's friendships that are like that. There's jobs that are like that. There's churches that are like that. 
There are seasons that are like that where it's not doing it. And I think that part of the reason why we struggle with figuring out how to resolve whatever this hunger is that's inside of us to satisfy or fulfill that is because of the reality that each of us have a dual uh, nature about ourselves. We have have two uh, competing desires within ourselves. One of those desires is that we are made by God, we are created in the image of God, and we're designed by Him to be a certain way and live a certain way and uh, be in certain places and be in certain contexts. And, and because of that wiring, we long for certain things and we pursue those things. And when we land on those things, we feel satisfied. We feel good. We feel we've gotten in the right place. Everything's good. Uh, we don't feel anxious. You know, we feel joyful. All of those things, uh, we feel satisfied. The problem is there's another competing desire within us, and that is the desire of the flesh. Or sometimes flesh is not always sinful, but many times it ends up being sinful. And that thing also wants to be satisfied, right? Uh, And no, it's not Snickers that is the solution to that. But it wants to be satisfied, and uh, like... Every once in a while, you just want to hit somebody. You know that I'm not the only one that's ever wanted to hit somebody. You want to act on certain impulses. Every once in a while, you just don't want to do the right thing, right? Someone's talking. They just talk all the time. And they're just always throwing a pity party. And you know you should be kind and nice to them. But at some point, you just don't want to hear it anymore, right? Okay, I never have these feelings myself, but I know some people do. And you, you give in to your fleshly impulse, and at some point you say something that maybe you probably shouldn't have said, but you wanted, you wanted to say it, right? We have competing cravings, right? We want to do, and it, and it confuses us, right? Because sometimes we're like, I don't know what, what it is I want, you know, I don't know what restaurant I want to end up at. I, I don't know what it is that I want. I just feel conflicted. That's the dual nature that we find ourselves existing in. And part of the challenge that that, that causes is that we, we find ourselves in a place where we try to pursue the right things. And we do it. We pursue the right things. We're praying. We're, we're getting right with, with the Lord. We're reading and studying the Bible. We're living According to it, we're getting into Christian fellowship, we're living right, we're doing those different things, and things start cooking. Have you ever just had things, scenarios where everything's moving on both cylinders, right? Everything's just going, you know, it's working, this is working for me, all right? Everything's going, you're, you're feeling it, and then at some point, you're just not feeling it anymore. And many times, especially if your context is you're doing the will of the Lord, right? You're living your life the way you're wired to live. And yet, for some reason, you're not satisfied. That's because no matter how much we live for the Lord, that pesky, fleshly side of ours still is there saying, I want more. I want something else. And the challenge is, is we have a hard time identifying which impulse was the Lord and which impulse was my flesh. And we would like to say that we're better than that. And we can ease, that's obvious. We can obviously tell what spirit and what is flesh? 
But if that were the case, then why in the world did the Lord go through great pains to make sure we had in print a Bible that demonstrates and tells us what his will is? And you know, because there's been times in your life where you're reading the Bible and you're like, this is great, this feels good, I love it, I feel inspired, I feel encouraged. And there's other times that you've read parts of the Bible and you thought, I don't want to do that, I don't want any part of that, I'd rather not be that way. Because the Bible affirms when we're in the Spirit and it gets on our case when we're in the flesh. And so some of, some of us, that's why we've not been reading the Bible because just don't, I don't want to have to deal with that conviction stuff that keeps surfacing. Why? Because we have a desire called the flesh and we want to live a certain way. And the question is, is which side are you going to land on that? Are you going to recognize? And we need help. We also need help in the form of Christian fellowship. There's a reason why. What does the Bible say? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So even if we have the Bible, we just have, I mean, we just, have you ever heard somebody like say, like they told you a, a conflict they had with someone and they're telling you about the conflict and they're, t- they're talking like they did everything perfectly in that, in that conflict. And usually it's going to be hard to tell because usually we're going to, we're going to, whether we know it or not, we're going to portray it as if we were the good guy in that story, right? Uh, and, 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 and you're listening to it and even their version of it, you realize, they weren't really all that nice in that conversation. Is the work of the body of Christ. You can't see it for some reason, but you can see it. That is the work of the body of Christ. We need to have other Christians in our lives that can show up and say, yeah, I don't really know if that's actually spirit. We need that. And you know where we aim to have that here at Bethel? Wednesday evenings at 6.30, we get together and we talk a little more fluidly than we do on Sunday mornings. Also in our Christian fellowship or relationships one-on-one and stuff. We need that uh, kind of, because we can't see it all, right? So we need that. But here's the other problem, is it would be easy if there was bad box and good box. You know, like uh, this action that's always good, that action that's always bad, and there's never any in-between stuff. But there's a lot of in-between stuff, you know? And when we wrestle through the impulse of the Spirit's craving... And the flesh is craving. You know what we all often do? We just don't see it. We take the flesh craving because we realize we, we want something here. And we, we can't identify things rightly. So we take the flesh craving and we wrap it up in spiritual language and in spiritual experiences. And then because there's some kind of spiritual aspect to it, we think the flesh isn't there anymore. You know, we've kind of hidden it from ourselves and we think the flesh isn't there. You know how we do that? We do that with things like a sermon. You know, someone presents a sermon. Now, I've heard lots of people. How many have heard more than 20 preachers in your life? I've heard lots of people preach more than one sermon. And I've listened and observed other people's reactions to different people's sermons. And every once in a while, I'll hear someone say of other people's sermons. They never say this of my sermons, but of other people's sermons, I didn't get anything out of that. You know, I just I didn't feel anything with that. You know, that, that, that didn't do anything for me. And sometimes that could be the case if the person who's preaching didn't present anything from the Word of God. But here's what I'm, I'm puzzled with, is if we say that we're hungry for God's Word, because and, and, and what we'll say is, I just need to be fed. You know, I need to be fed. Have you ever heard people say that? I need to be fed. And here's the thing is, sometimes we can say that and that's okay. Our, our, our heart landed on the right place. But other times, because if we're hungry for the Word of God, 
and the Word of God was just presented to us, and our response to the Word of God being presented to us is, I didn't get anything out of that, then were we really after the Word of God? The Word of God was just dished out to us, and we said that I didn't like that. Are we after the Word of God? And I tend to think, and this is where flesh gets wrapped up in spirit, I tend to think that what we actually mean by that is, I wanted a revelation from God and I didn't get it. I wanted to feel something and I didn't get it. I wanted to be comforted, inspired, encouraged, and I didn't get it. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't look for that from a sermon and it's not great when we get those things? No, it's great when we get those things. Uh, I think sometimes it's because we have different learning styles, right? Some of us are visual learners, audio learners, more tactile learners, and, and we just struggle with things. And a preacher should do everything they can to try to accommodate to help people want the Word of God and receive the Word of God. But here's the thing. No one person can encompass everything so flawlessly that everybody in the room will be driven to passionate desire and will receive from the Word of God. At some point in your life and in my life, we're going to have to decide to take ownership on whether or not we want the Word or not. And we're going to have to decide, do I need all the bells and whistles all the time in order for me to be hungry for the Word of God? We say we're hungry for it, but when it's there, it didn't do anything for me. Or a worship experience. You know, we have a worship team that, that tries to inspire and encourage you guys to worship the Lord. And I've heard people say of worship experiences, not this church, but in other churches. I've never heard this of Joe. But I've heard people say, I didn't get anything out of that. You know, I just didn't feel like the Lord was there today. Uh, you know, he just didn't really move. And, 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 I, and what I'm puzzled about is, you know, the Bible says that God is only present in, the, in, in certain churches and not in others. It says that God's only present when there's, you know, a certain number of people there. As long as you reach a certain threshold, then God... Isn't that what the Bible says? It doesn't say that. Where does the Bible say God is? Everywhere. God is everywhere present. There is nowhere you can go that God is not. And if God is everywhere and worshipers are present where God is, what should take place? Worship should happen. We don't need the right songs. We don't need the right music. We don't need to generate the right experience. We don't need smoke machines and fog machines and lights and all of that stuff. And not that that's wrong. Not that that's wrong. And the worship team needs to do everything they can to try to make it easy for us to jump into worship. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, whose responsibility is it to worship the Lord? And do I really need somebody else to carve out all these things for me in order for me to want to worship? Because when people say it can't be the reality, they didn't mean God wasn't there and a worshiper wasn't there. It can't be the reality. What they meant was I didn't feel the feeling I wanted to feel. Or I didn't experience the excitement that I wanted to experience. Or I didn't get the miracle that I wanted to have. Or, and I think this is where a lot of us might be, we, at some season in our life, had an experience, a worship experience. Maybe it was short, maybe it was long. But we had a worship experience, and that was powerful. That was amazing. Anybody have that before? You had a worship experience, and, and that was great. They're leaving because they're upset with what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I'm teasing. They need to take care of beautiful Melissa there. 
Uh, but have you ever had that where you had this moment? Maybe it was one service. Maybe it was multiple services. Maybe it was a season where everything just was like felt amazing all the time. Have you ever had seasons like that in your life? Okay. And I think sometimes we are just desperate to try to recreate that exact same moment. And sometimes it can come, and sometimes it does not. But my choice to worship the Lord and pursue Him should not be dependent upon whether or not I can recreate a past experience that I had. And when people say I didn't get anything out of it, often what they mean is they didn't get that, right? And it's not the worship leader's fault. Again, please don't misunderstand me. The preacher should do everything he can to communicate effectively. The worship leader should do everything he can to lead us effectively. But at the end of the day, we need to ask ourselves, why are we here? What is it that we're actually after? Is it excitement, a thrill, an experience, all our problems getting resolved, comfort? What is it? And all of those things are great when we get them. But if we decide that that's why we're here, when it's not there, what happens? It goes somewhere else. This is why in today's society, we have followers of Christ that are more consumers than they are pursuers of Jesus Christ. They're looking to be serviced, and if they're not serviced, then they're going to go to another church, and another church, and another church. If this church, if I'm not feeling it there anymore, I'm going to go over here. If those people aren't treating me the way I want to be treated, I go over there. If I'm not receiving this accommodation, or that accommodation, or getting this opportunity, or this attention, then I'm going somewhere else. And then I ask myself the question, why are we here? Are we here so that my needs can be met and I can be serviced? Am I here so that I can get attention? Am I here so that I can do stuff and feel important? Or am I here to worship Jesus Christ and fulfill the mission? And we feel okay about ourselves because make, we make it seem like we, we just want to worship God and, we just want to, and we're hungry for His Word when really there's something else that we're actually hungry for. And we end up in a space where, and this is why the church has been weakened, not just ours, but, but throughout the country, particularly ours, but in other places, is because Christians no longer want Jesus. They want bells and whistles, and they want an experience, and they want solutions. And I want you to know that following Jesus many times does come with the bells and the whistles and the experiences and, and problems being resolved and all of them. Have you ever had problems resolved by Jesus? Have you ever had bells and whistles with Jesus? I know that sounds funny and earthly, but you get my point. Okay, they come and they go, but we need to decide what it is we're actually after. And here's the problem. If we get it right, we are still going to end up in moments where we don't feel totally satisfied. And then we have to ask ourselves, what am I after, feeling satisfied or am I after Jesus? And the reason isn't because Jesus, and we think we sang that earlier, isn't because Jesus doesn't satisfy and fulfill all our needs and longings. It's because not only do we want Jesus, but we want the flesh too, don't we? And so we have to recognize that when we don't feel satisfied, is it because I'm not in a right relationship with Jesus? Or is it because my flesh is saying, I want more? I want more. Well, then what am I supposed to land on then? And that was the point of last week. Uh, we attach our desire to something that is more stable and more solid. And have you found emotions to be stable and solid in your life? Boy, if you're banking on your emotions, 
up and down. You know, it's all over the place. If you're banking on whether or not somebody else is going to be trustworthy in your life, have you ever discovered that people just aren't trustworthy, ourselves included? And if you're going to bank on a person being trustworthy, then your commitment to following Christ is going to be all over the place because people aren't always tra- If you're banking on some experience and that's what you're living for, then your walk with Jesus is going to be all over the place. You know, you're going to give up on reading the Word, give up on praying, give up on the body of Christ because you attached your commitment to something that's not stable. What should I attach my commitment to then? Well, the first half of 2 Corinthians 5 that we read last week talked about that we are not living for this earthly life, but we're living for what? The eternal life. That's what we're living for. We're living to end up landing there with Jesus, and we want other people to land there with Jesus. That's what we're living for. And so that would mean that if you showed up here today saying, I'm coming here to worship. I don't care what songs they sing. I don't care how many people or who, here, who is here. I don't care how excited or not excited people. Then you know what will happen? You will walk out Jesus, and I'm here to serve his body and minister to other people. Then you know what will happen? You will walk out of this place almost every single Sunday satisfied. Because you did what you came here to do. But if you're not satisfied, it's likely because you came here for other reasons. What are you attaching your commitment to Jesus Christ on? And the second is, and this is the reason why some people become apathetic and lukewarm in their passion for Jesus. They might still be present in body, but their heart's not in it. And the reason why that happens for so many people, and it gets confusing because, and sometimes it's not just, it's not simply flesh, but it's, they're here, they're following Jesus, they're reading and studying His Word, and they're really sincere in that. And they're involved in the body of Christ, and they're doing ministry, and, and they're doing different things. They're here every week, and they sing the songs, and they're doing all this stuff. But for some reason, it just doesn't, and it's not sin. It's, it, it's just there's just something still missing. And so they become apathetic and lukewarm and kind of careless because like, I, don't, I don't get it. It's just it's not, something's not clicking. Have you ever wondered what that was for yourself? You know, I'm doing all the things that I think are the right things spiritually, but it's something's not clicking in the gear. You know what that is? Some people have not realized that once you've been taught, trained, ministered to, at some point we need to transition to, I have a personal mission to accomplish in this world, and I need to start doing that mission. And some of us, the reason why it's not clicked is because we've been just been letting everybody else do stuff for me and serve me and minister to me, and I'm soaking it all in. And here's the thing. You can only soak it in so long where you're just over, you're overfilled and nothing more can get in there because we're not dishing it out to other people. And some people get lukewarm and apathetic because they've not attached their commitment to the mission. It's more than just commitment to Jesus Christ. It's also commitment to his mission. And so you find yourself lukewarm, apathetic, struggling, feeling like you just can't find gratification in the Lord. I wonder what your action in the mission looks like. And what is that? And does it really actually matter in the whole grand scheme of things? Well, that's why Paul tells us various things in 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm not going to just read it straight through. I'm going to read it and comment on it and, and get back to it. But in verse 11, Paul says this. 
Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, now, I don't know if you've heard this. If you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what's that therefore? Therefore. Because it's linked to something else. Why would he say that? He's saying there. So in conclusion, it's like that. If anybody says in conclusion, then you're asking, okay, then what they said before matters to what they're about to say now. So therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, from what? Well, if you remember in verse 10, we read that last week, we are all going to be standing before Jesus at the judgment, right? You remember that? And since we are going to be standing before Jesus and we're going to be held accountable to the way we lived our lives, since that is the reality, therefore, we are to try to persuade others. We are to do a ministry that Paul's going to call in a moment the ministry of reconciliation. We are to fulfill a purpose in our lives because Jesus is going to hold us accountable to whether or not we fulfilled that purpose. And that's why he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Okay? If I have this not terrified like God's going to get me kind of thing, but a respectful reality that he's going to hold me accountable and I need to make sure I do what I'm supposed to do with this, if I realize this, then I know I'd better begin to persuade others. Persuade others to do what? Well, we're going to see him describe what that is, but I'll give a little, little detail uh, for this, and that is that our goal... Our life mission, I don't know if you know this, our life mission is more than getting a job and getting a paycheck and taking care of our provisions and having a family and parenting well and being a good spouse and taking care of our family. Our mission is more than that. Our mission is to persuade other people to follow Jesus Christ, to live a life after Jesus Christ. And that involves people who aren't doing that and persuading them in. And that involves people who are in that pathway but persuading them to keep furthering down that pathway. And so when we persuade others, you know what we do? We try to persuade people, you need to come to church. You need to come and be a part of church. Does that save me? No, coming to church doesn't save me, but that's a part of this journey. And so we try to persuade other people, you should come here on Sundays. You should come here on Wednesdays. You should get involved in this. You should get involved in ministry. And we persuade others. And guess whose responsibility is to persuade other people? Only the pastor and nobody else. Excuse me. Always a jokester in here somewhere. I was expecting that to come from Sean. <laughs> no, that responsibility falls on anybody. Because knows I'm, but it also falls on people who don't claim to follow Jesus Christ. Because those unbelievers are made in the image of God, and God has every intention on them jumping on this also. Every human being, our life mission is to persuade others to follow. Persuade others to, don't treat people like that. Don't treat your wife like that. Don't treat your husband like that. To persuade others, don't, don't be prejudiced. Don't be harsh. Don't be cold to other people. Live out the fruit of the Spirit. Don't just be lazy here when we're worshiping. Worship the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't just casually read through the Bible. Study it. Know it. Understand it. Live it out. Do the mission. We are to persuade others. Why? Because each and every one of us, when you stand at the judgment, you can't stand there and go, well, pastor didn't do that good enough. That's why I didn't do that. Jesus isn't going to take that from us. We have a mission to perform. And if we understand the fear of the Lord and what is before us, we begin to persuade others. And then he continues halfway through verse 11. But what we are is known to God 
and I hope it is known also to your conscience. And we sang a song earlier today about our identity in Christ. I am chosen, I'm not forsaken, and those kind of things. Uh, here they are saying, we, God knows who we are. We hope you know who we are. But we hope you know that through your conscience. We hope we, you know that in your heart who we are. And if you want to know who we are in a moment, we land on, I think it's verse, uh, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And he's saying, I, want, I hope that you know, because we know who we are, because our identity isn't plumber, right? Our identity isn't mom, grandma. Our identity isn't accountant, uh, finance things. That's not, our identity isn't landlord. Our identity isn't landlord. Our identity is we are ambassadors in Christ, and some of us don't know that. Some of us think our identity is just be a good Christian and be nice to everybody, and, and that's what you're supposed to be. No, we are ambassadors for Christ. But some of us don't realize that's who we are. And some people might get lost in the next verse that, that Paul writes here in verse 12 and think, no, 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 I think that the ambassadors are Paul and his team, and not everybody needs to be an ambassador because verse 12, they say, we are not commending ourselves, so it seems like it's about them, to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. Okay, so then maybe it's just them and not all of us need to be ambassadors. But then he continues, so that you may be able to answer. Who? That they may also be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. It's not only Paul and his team that's supposed to be the ambassadors. Every follower of Christ is an ambassador for Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. And then he says, did you notice what he said there? He says that we can answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Sometimes... What we attach ourselves to is, what does it look like on the outside? I'm going to feel good depending on what it looks like on the outside. We do that in our personal life and we do that as a church. Where we think this church is succeeding because there's a lot of people here and that means that we're succeeding, that's great, and I can see the people. Sometimes we look at it in the form of programs. There's this great program and that great program and that's how I know that things are clicking and things are happening because I can see programs or energy level and excitement, or fi finances, or certain building scenarios, and I can see that, and so I know things are well. When we are followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to look at things based on what we can just simply see on the outside. There are a lot of churches that do that, don't they? This is not to say that churches that have numbers and have excitement and have programs are wrong. But there are some churches, and there are some pastors, and there are some people that are part of those churches they're like, we are doing good, and you know how we know we're doing good? Because we have the numbers, because we have the money, because we have the building, because we have the programs. And is it good to get to those places? Absolutely. God wants the numbers, doesn't he? He wants more and more people in the kingdom, right? He wants those things. But if we hang our hat on, we will feel satisfied, gratified, and we'll know that we have achieved if we have the outward appearance. Because you know those outward things come and they go. Did you know that? Do you know how many churches started, flourished, had energy and excitement and programs and people, and they don't have them anymore? I mean, some of you guys remember that about 25 years ago, this church had about 300 people in it, right? And then when I came, they all left. <laughs> A lot of them left before I got here. Uh, 
this church used to be happening in what we can see, right? But it's not the same as it was before. And there are other churches like that. Have you ever seen those huge uh, Gothic churches, large buildings? And if you've ever gone into some of those services, there's hardly anybody in there. Why did they build such a large building for 15 people? Because at one point they had a lot of people involved in that. And we're kind of like that anyway. We just like things to be new, don't we? We don't like change. That's the odd thing about ourselves. We don't like change, but we also don't like things to stay the same. But things come, change up sometimes, and so if it doesn't change, we're not excited about that. But things come and they go. Have you ever felt really good physically, and then the next day, not so much? Have you ever had a relationship that's on a high, and it's going great, and everything feels good, and other days... Not so much. And you know what we do? We, when we look on the outward appearance, everything's great when everything looks like it's together. And then we're falling apart on the inside when everything's falling apart on the outside. Why? Because we've attached our hope and our commitment because we bail when that happens too, don't we? Well, there's not this and there's not that, so I'm running out of here. And we bail. Why? Because we focused our goal on the things we can see with our eyes. And not the things we can see with our faith. And I'm glad that Jesus hasn't bailed on me when I didn't look right. And I think that you would be glad that Jesus didn't bail on you when you didn't look, like, look right on the outside. And if we're going to do this ministry, if we're going to achieve what Jesus wants for us, we're going to have to be able to see the inside instead of just the outside. In verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves... It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, this for you is where we start to see jumping into a little bit added meaning to what this mission is. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live in them or for themselves. Maybe I need to read that again. Jesus died that those who live might no longer live for themselves. How many of us are living for ourselves? And Jesus died, we often say Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins, and that's true. But we see here in this passage, Jesus also, Jesus also died so that we might no longer live for ourselves. And I don't know if you've gone down this road of self-serving long enough, but if you go down that road of trying to serve yourself and satisfy yourself, at some point we end in landing in a place of emptiness where we realize this isn't what gratifies me. This isn't what I was made for, to live for me. I was made to live for others. And he says the love of Christ controls us or compels us. I'm amazed at how many people can encounter the heartbeat of God and walk out of that presence and not pursue the heartbeat of God. Because you know what the heartbeat of God is? He died for some people. You know, He just wants some people to be okay. Other people, it's okay for you to not be okay with those people. Or did he say he died for all people? He died for everyone. He wants everyone. And if we encounter the loving Jesus Christ and we relate to him and we experience him and we feel his heart, we will begin to realize he wants them. 
He wants everybody in on this thing. And because he wants that, and because I love him, I want what he wants. And so I'm going to begin to go out there, and what am I going to do? I'm going to persuade others. I want other people to be on, in on this. Why? Because I love, I'm compelled by the love of Christ. He loves me in such a way that I want him to have what he wants to have. And he wants you. Did you know that? And he wants your brother and your sister as much as they drive you crazy. He wants your mother and your father and your wife and your husband and your children as much as they drive you nuts. And he wants that lousy neighbor that you don't want to talk to anymore. He wants him. He wants those people. And if we encounter the heartbeat of God, this is why some of us find ourselves depressed and discouraged and empty because we're not living for what we were designed to live for, the mission of persuading others. Then verse 16 from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, he says something here that we might misunderstand if we don't pay attention because it's puzzling that he says we regarded Christ that way at one point, but we do not regard him that way any longer. Is Paul denying that Jesus came in the flesh? Certainly not, because John wrote in his epistle that if anybody denies that Jesus came in the flesh, he is what? He is of the spirit of the Antichrist. So then we're not denying the reality that Jesus came in a human form, nor are we denying the reality that the people that we, in, that we encounter are fleshly in various ways. But we don't regard them that way anymore. What does that mean? Well, that means that when we see into the eyes of the person that's in front of me that has all the different issues that I know, they, have you ever looked at somebody in your life and you thought, you have a lot of issues? Have you ever felt that before? You have a lot. Emphasis on a lot of issues. You're a mess. Have you ever thought, looked at someone and thought, you're a mess? The ambassador of Christ. But the eyes of the person that is the ambassador of Christ will not see them for what they are but we'll see them for what they can become. They might not have any of the interest or desire right now, and they might be a wreck of a human being. But I'm going to see in that person the value and the treasure that's hidden within that person, that they've stifled the image that God has created them in, stifled that, and I'm going to see that that person has the ability to become a new creation the old has passed and the new has come, and I'm going to minister to them and work in their lives with the optimism that they can become a different person, the person God designed them to be, the person that deep down they want to become. And we have to begin to see people with those eyes. Otherwise, we'll give up on people. You know, I'm not going to mess with that person anymore. Everybody has already tried, and they're still a mess, so they're just that way. No, we don't regard them that way anymore. And I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life that had no reason to have hope, hopeful feelings and optimism for you, but they did. And the way that transformed your life, we get the opportunity, not like, not like, not like the spouse who just wants to change their spouse to make them what they want them to be to make them happy. Not like that. But we, because I think sometimes we feel like when we try to confront people and challenge them and, and try to get them to, to be in a right place, we think that we're, we're the nagging wife. 
You know, that person doesn't. And sometimes people treat us that way even if we do it the right way. But we have to realize that what we're doing is we're trying to persuade them to be what they ultimately want to become. They just don't know it yet. They just don't know the beauty of what it looks like to become a person who is found in the person of Jesus Christ and receives all of the identity and value and the working and the mission that comes from that. And we need to begin to see that this person has that there. Nobody else believes that they have it, but I can see that it's there. There's nothing on the outside that says that it's there, but everything on the inside in my spirit says this person can become a new creation. And the gratification and the satisfaction that you are after, that you can't figure out where you're supposed to land with it, there is nothing more thrilling, satisfying than being the agent, the vessel that God used to transform another person's life. There's nothing like that because that's what we were made for. And pursuing that mission should not be waiting for a program or a class to come into my life and bring that into being. I am called to be an ambassador for Christ. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And you might say, well, but you don't understand that hot mess of a person you were talking about. That's me. I'm the mess. I can't figure this out. I'm hopeless. I'm depressed. I'm down. I'm discouraged. I'm broken. How can I be an ambassador for Christ when I'm the mess that I am? And that's where Jesus inspires Paul to say what he just said, not counting their trespasses against them. You might say, I don't deserve to be a part of this reconciliation. Then you misunderstand the word reconciliation. Okay? This whole reconciliation experience is we are not okay with Jesus. And we are not okay with each other. And we need constantly the reconciliation work to happen in our lives. Constantly. Even though we've been at it for years. We still. Anybody feel like I've been at it for years and I still need to reconcile to Jesus and reconcile to others? We need this reconciliation and I don't deserve it because I'm a mess. But Jesus says that he doesn't hold our trespasses against us. We have an out. I think sometimes people emphasize that they're a mess so much because they don't want in on this reconciliation. They act like they do. But they don't want reconciled to God because the flesh has consumed them so much that they want what they want. There's no excuse. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care how long. I don't care if you were following Christ passionately and now you're a mess today. I don't care. The old has passed away. Didn't we just read that? And the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. That doesn't just happen at the day that we gave our life to Christ. We are being made new day after day. And did you get what he said here? Do you get that Paul says he gave, gave us, he gave to us the ministry of reconciliation? Did you catch that he said that Jesus entrusted to, entrusted to us? Jesus is trusting us with something? 
We're supposed to trust him for everything. Jesus is entrusting us with something? This with the message of reconciliation. This means, because I think sometimes people just think, you know, I'll just pray that that person gets saved and I'll let God deal with it. You know, you know that person's mad at me and I'll just pray that God works on their heart and God deals with it. You know? There's this ministry that needs to happen. I see a hole in the church where there's this thing that's not being taken care of. I'll just pray that God will take care of that. And we do a lot of that, you know. Just pray that God will take care of that. And we should. And we talked about that earlier. We should pray. And ultimately, it is God who brings that. It is God who is reconciling the world to himself, right? Didn't it say that? It is God that's doing that work. But then for whatever reason, he says, there you go. That reconciliation work, that transformation, that transformed life, here you go. You take care of it. I don't want to take care of that, God. I'm a mess. I'm not perfect. I have my own problems. I have my own issues to deal with. I don't need to deal with other people's issues. I need to take care of my own issues. And we back away and we think, I know, God, I'm just going to trust you. See, we wrap the flesh and spirit all the time, don't we? We wrap I don't want to do what God tells me to do in a I trust Jesus language. When in reality, we don't trust Jesus because we don't trust that we can do what we are. Did you know you can be involved in the transformation of another person's life? Did you know that you can pursue and see happen the reconciliation of people to God and people to each other? Did you know that you can do that? Because Jesus has empowered you to do that. Because didn't we just read earlier that you guys might not know who we are, but God does. And we pray that you know who you are. And what is it that we should know that we are? We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We can make a difference in people's lives if we choose to do it. But we have to do it. We have to start acting and doing and saying and talking with one another. Start having conversations with people. Share your faith. Encourage somebody else. to. But I don't know if I want to encourage them to live that way because then I might have to live that way. But we need to do this. And again, I remind you that reconciliation context means that each one of us are going to fail on and off again. And each one of us are going to hurt each other and fail each other in different ways. And you know what you do with that? You give up, you walk away from the relationship, you walk away from the church, you walk away from Christ and just give up on the whole thing. No, that's not rec- reconciliation is. We get back in the thick of it again and we make it right. We apologize. We confess. We listen. We hear out. We talk things through and we make things up and we get through it and we reconcile. Well, what a better world that would be to live in than a world in which we just ran and hid and hightailed it out of there. But that's the way we Americans are today, aren't we? The moment it gets the slightest bit difficult, we run. Nothing of any value is ever going to be attained that way. Because, verse 20, like I've been saying, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Many times Jesus doesn't speak until we speak. He wants to make his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That addiction that you have, 
that you feel like you cannot overcome? We just saw there that Jesus died so that you can overcome that. Jesus lived a life with sin and died so that we could become the righteousness of God. Not just be forgiven of our sins so that we can become overcomers. No longer tied to that addiction or that sin or that fleshly issue or that struggle or that attitude. Jesus died to make you better. And again, it's not like that nagging wife or Jesus, which, mind you, my wife, I want to give the disclaimer, it's not the nagging wife. She is amazing. <laughs> but some of you might have a nagging wife or a nagging husband who are in it for self-interest. And you know it when someone's trying to change you for their own self-interest. And there's, there's a place for reconciliation and working things out and those kind of things. But when Jesus comes in to change our lives, He's not in it simply for his glory. He's in it because if you become the righteousness of God, oh, how glorious your life becomes. Didn't he say, and I believe in Ephesians, that he died for his church to make his church a glorious church without spot or wrinkle? He wants to change you so that you flourish and thrive, but it's so hard to trust him because we don't know if he's going to give us the desires of our flesh. What are you after? Why are you here? Why do you come to this service? Why do you come on Wednesday nights? Why do you read the scriptures? Why do you pray? Why do you worship? Why do we do those things? Is it because I want all this other stuff in my life to come? And that's why I get discouraged when it's not there. Or is it because I want Jesus and I want to live for the mission? Will you stand with me, worship team? Will you come and prepare to lead us? What is it that you find yourself living for? And don't misunderstand. We have to pay our bills. We have to work jobs. We have to tend to our earthly needs in various ways in our relationships. It's okay that those things are present. And it's okay that we want an experience and revelation and feelings and all of those things. They're not bad in and of themselves. But where they become problematic if they become the very reason we're living, when instead we need to live for the person of Jesus Christ and his mission. And my question for you this morning is, did you know that you are an ambassador for Christ? Did you know that you were made for a transformed life? Did you know that you were made to transform the lives of others? Did you know that you were that? And no, you didn't have to earn it. You didn't have to deserve it. You didn't have to be cleaned up before it happened. Jesus comes in and takes the messes. What does it say? He makes, uh, takes ashes and makes them beauty, beautiful, right? Beauty for ashes. Jesus wants to reconcile us to himself and to each other. And he wants to give us a glorious mission. But you're here this morning. You lack fulfillment. You lack gratification. Maybe you lack the evidence in your life that you actually do have the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. You're living for yourself. And if it's any wonder why we don't feel a sense of peace before God, it's because we're not ambassadors. We're not living like ambassadors. And as the worship team begins to play and lead us, does something need to change in your life? Do you need to get on board with the mission?
do you need to begin to live like you are an ambassador for Christ? You have all these needs and all these things that you're so focused on tending with in our earthly lives. What did Paul say in our first half of this chapter? That we don't live for this earthly life, we live in, for the life to come. And we don't lose our joy, our security, our confidence, our passion when we're living for that because we can't lose that. But we're broken and discouraged because we're worried about getting the things that we want in this life. How many of you want to be set free from living a life for yourself? It's empty. Living a life for your passions, for your feelings, living your life for those kind of things. Or you'd like to decide today, I'm going to step forward and be an ambassador of Christ. And if that's you, then just begin to come and step forward. And say, that's me. I'm no longer, I'm done living for myself, living for my own experience, my own pleasures. As much as I might wrap it up in some kind of spirit language thing, I want to live as an ambassador of Christ. And if that's who you are, then just begin to come and seek him and confess and repent and tell him, Lord, I want to be a minister of reconciliation. Make me that. Make me that. Come on, let's rejoice in who we are in Christ. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has passed, the new has come, and even though we might have days ahead of us where we still are acting in the flesh and not acting like who we are, we have a Jesus who constantly reconciles us back to himself, that continues to pursue us, that doesn't leave us when we walk away. He keeps after us because he wants us. Oh, we can't figure out exactly why. But Jesus wants us, and he wants the people that are around us. We need to be reconciled to Christ, and we need to be involved in reconciling others to Christ and to each other. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to achieve and pursue that mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... In the, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk more specifically and maybe practically about what is it that I'm supposed to be doing, maybe what we're supposed to do collectively to pursue that objective. Because every week that we come here, you have a mission. You have a thing that you're called to uh, achieve and pursue. And here's the thing. I've, I've been in vocational ministry, and I've been in secular work and doing ministry while working secular work. I've been in both of those places. And one thing that I've decided in my life, and I hope that you will also, is that I'm going to pursue the mission if I have the money or don't, if the people are in it or not, if the passion's there or not, the programs are there or not, the excitement's there. I, if, if we balloon up the back to 300, wonderful. If we whittle down to two, you know where you'll find me? Pursuing the mission still, because the mission, the pursuit of the mission isn't tied to who's here and how many people's here and what's going on. And you know what we need? And you know what I need? I need people who decided that they're in to that same level, that they're committed to, we are a part of this family and we are a part of pursuing this mission, whether I feel good, whether I have all that I need, whether I have all the programs I want or not. We're going to go after the mission. Are you with me on that? I hope that you are. So Wednesdays at 6.30 is when we do, do it in a more discussion format way. 
And then next week we'll be back to, we're going to go into Philippians 2 and see some specifics on what we're supposed to be doing. But I am so appreciative that you're here and that you have the passion that you do and do the things that you do. And I thank you that you put up with a nut like me. And I put up with you guys. You make it easy because you're not so nutty. (laughs) But we are one nutty family, aren't we? Amen. And we just put up with the reality that we're all different and we all have ups and downs. And and we are in it together. Amen. I'd rather be in it together than in in it alone. Amen. Let's do this. Thank you, guys. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday.